we uh, will uh, be looking at, uh, well, we have a couple of chapters actually um, that we have to start with tonight, and um, it's, it's kind of different because you have a lot of names, again, that we've seen before, and uh, one could ask, well, why did God put this in His inspired Word when He has all these names? Of course, we've been kind of answering uh, quite a bit of that throughout uh, Nehemiah. Quite frequently, uh, he mentions people, and um, it's uh, very instrumental in what God is doing. God is a sovereign God, right? God has had all this planned out to the very T of how He was going to bring the people back from bondage. They've been in Babylon, and of course, uh, within the last century before Nehemiah, the people have been coming back a little bit at a time, and uh, then more came back at, at his time, and, and then afterwards. And of course, there was nothing really there in Jerusalem. Uh, they first started building the temple, and they rebuilt that, but there's nothing but rubble. The walls are down. And it's a pathetic scene. It doesn't look like anything like what Jerusalem had uh, used to be if the people uh, had lived through all that and then come back. They would have been shocked. And, of course, you can imagine their children and grandchildren who coming back and moving into there. And They had heard all about Jerusalem. And there it was, the way that uh, it was just laid out. And, and yet God calls Nehemiah to go to that country that's getting ready to be built up to get the walls built because what good is a city if you don't have defense? You have to have a defense. They have a temple, but they really don't have any spiritual means about them at that time except for what Ezra has been doing. And of course, he was a great big uh, power man in, in the hands of God. And uh, it was great to see what God did there. But when He brought Nehemiah, then it's, He started shaping them up in a sense that they had no idea what was going to happen. And built the wall in how many days? You guys remember? Right. And it was done in a hurry. Right? So, what do they need to do now? Well, they need to be seeking the Lord. And that's where that famous chapter 8 of Nehemiah is, which uh, we loved to... Um, Look at that, and that was dealing with the expository preaching, the reading of the Word and expository teaching and preaching as uh, they build a pulpit uh, for the, the preaching, the proclaiming of the Word of God. The people are hearing it, some of them probably for the very first time, and they're amazed by it. And they stand, they hear it, it's preached uh, throughout the day. And what's amazing by that is that it was taught also in, in smaller kind of groups where some went out and, and then taught what had just been read and preached and proclaimed so that it would make an impact. It's not just about reading the Word and hearing it and that's it, but it's about making an impact on their lives. And well, it did because the first thing that they want to do now is repent. As they learn what the Word of God is saying, they want to repent of their sins of that. And of course, in Nehemiah 8... Um, it's told to them that now is the time of rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And and so anyway, they uh, they celebrate a great festival. And then there's the Feast of Booze, uh, which is restored to the people, a time of great joy, and they're commemorating on what God had done when historically the people had been in the wilderness and God took care of them. And that's kind of God they have. And so they're getting taught really for the first time in a very systematic way. Ezra had been doing it, and of course very well. matter of fact, he's the one that is responsible for the, the strong teaching of, of this Word and the law that's given to him. And then in chapter 9 is where we get to the great aspect where the people are going to confess their sin. Because what the Word of God had done, they checked out got historically what God had done with the people in His faithfulness even though they kept kicking Him in the teeth. He blesses them greatly and then they rebel against Him. And it's a constant turning over and over and over. So in His grace and in His great goodness and faithfulness, He keeps giving to them uh, of who He is. And, and uh, of course, then they rebel. It's over and over again, right? And, that, and that's what we see in chapter 9. The people then get... Uh, an idea that hey we are 
descendants of those same people. We're part of this too. You know, we have sin also. So they recognize that. And uh, they can't help but uh, do that. And what they do at the end of chapter 9 is that uh, very last verse 38, Now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites and priests. It's a sealed document. God has His faithful covenant that He has made and now they're making a covenant amongst them that they will uh, desire to be obedient to God. They have obligations of this document. And of course, it's, it's about obedience, walking in, in God's law that uh, was given through Moses. And they wanted to live in that. And that's really where He got them as they, uh, they all covenanted together. You have your leaders and they sign it and the people are uh, saying amen to this too. And they've been excited by it to see what Nehemiah had, had brought and, and God's work through him. Uh, and so that's what we were dealing with last week. And, uh, of course, we talked a little bit about uh, the Sabbath, for instance, and then, of course, the, in the temple as far as the, the showbread, the grain offerings, all those things that are involved. The people are to bring offerings, to bring money. Uh, and so that they will be able to um, keep the temple service going and to keep the ones who serve there, to keep them uh, doing that. And, of course, uh, that that's the idea of what's been happening all the way through here. And so now we come to chapter 11 and chapter 12. I've got them linked together, and you're going to see as you kind of gander through there, if you haven't read it, it is uh, a lot of verses dealing with a lot of names. Names that are very hard to pronounce. I've been working on this. Quinones. Am I getting better? That's not even close. Okay, I gave it a shot. Avel, could you even... I've not heard your last name, so... It's Q-U-I-N-O-N-E-S and it's got that accent on there. Did I spell it right? Yeah. Alright. Because you guys will probably want to know that, but I thought maybe I had it right. Uh, Barb, what do you, you give it a shot? Q U I N O N O N E S, yeah. Quinones. That's that's the way I did it. Evidently it's not even close. <laughs> Can you say it? <laughs> Let's hear you say it. Keen. Keen? Right? Keen. Uh, Alright. I, I just had I had to say that. It proves my point. If I can't even pronounce his name, then I look at these names here, I'm in real trouble. So our homework is it's not that we want to avoid God's word and every word is inspired by God. And so there are a lot of people in here, their names aren't even named. But they're with a family. And so they extend down from that family. All these people are really important. I want to tell you what 11 and 12 was about. God is so sovereign. He had it chosen in the way that He was going to rebuild Israel and the very people that were going to do such and such duties. You have the, the priests. You have the singers. You know, the choir, the musicians. You have uh, the Levites. And uh, you know, on and on. God has everything planned out for each one to be able to do as He brings them back together. It's an impossible task that wouldn't have taken uh, stead at all without God coming in there and make this happen. You know, just the people, they're not going to do it. And they had to have a guy like Nehemiah to inspire them to, to do it because all they saw when they looked there was, you know, just shambles. You know, rocks and, and just junk all over the, the whole grounds there. No hope. And that's why they've been carrying that for uh, actually years and years and years, decades. And so anyway, Nehemiah comes, gets the, ball, uh, the, uh, the wall built. Not many people are living in the city of Jerusalem. Not many people there at all. And the idea is God's got to get those people in Jerusalem. Not all the people, but it's going to be that this place is a city. It has to be city. And when you think of city, what do you think of? People. And you can say, hey, the church is all right if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> We'd never have any trouble if it wasn't for people. But the thing is, that's what the church is. It is people. It's God's people. And so, you got the rubble, the walls torn down. There's a lot of work to do. They've done that. 
Uh, otherwise, they're a major target for the enemies to attack all around there. Uh, it, and it's easy to settle outside in, in the country. As a matter of fact, everybody is settled in that sense. At least they're farming their own plots. They have their own land there. Uh, you know, people want land and such. Uh, the city is to be it's to be prosperous, and there's going to be worship there in the temple. You're going to have to have all these priests, all the Levites, all the the, the choirs, the singers, musicians, and and to have all of that, you're going to have to have the people there to support this to make this a city, and. Um, and it's important. This is the city that God is going to use to bring the Messiah, right? That's where it's really all pointing to. And uh, we're, we're somewhere in the vicinity of about 400 years away from that happening. Um, but anyway, uh, um, the people, for the most part, are going to stay stay in the village. They have to draw lots. We'll see in our text. Um, and uh, one out of ten are going to move into the city. Um some people are going to move there, not really one, two, but they're going to have to uproot. They're going to have to uproot their whole lives to come out of where they've been living out in the country and now to move into to Jerusalem. That's really not much happening there right now. But it's going to become somewhat of a crowded city when this thing is taken uh, in the way that Nehemiah brings it forth. And they've already made a covenant and they're there to be obedient to God. And uh, no matter how inconvenient and how uh, undesirable this would be to move into this city that really doesn't look like much at the time, the people are willing to live where God wants them to because it's His purpose. You see how sovereign God is? He takes these people and what a time it was to get this started again and in all preparation. By the way, I want you to think about it. You know, uh, in when you, when you think of heaven, you also have to think, like in Revelation 21 and 22, you think of what? The New Jerusalem. And in New Jerusalem is a city. It's filled with God's people. God's glorified people. Isn't that amazing? The New Jerusalem. So, when you're thinking people, you're thinking ministry. And they all served a purpose. They all did what they were really called to do. And that's how this thing came about and, and what it did. Um, I, the, the opportunity for ministry was tremendous there. So anyway, that gets us ready for uh, the text tonight as we get ready for chapter 11. Father, we thank You for this uh, evening that we have. It's a special time whenever God's people um, get around Your Word and we're able to... Um, get a little bit of understanding of who you are for that is the very purpose of, of your word to know you and then to respond to that and may we respond and desire to continue to respond not to be in that continuous cycle where you give us your word and we agree and then we be disobedient I think this is why this lesson is written where we know that you say the Old Testament was given to us so that we would have a lesson that we wouldn't repeat the same things that they do. Um, but we know, Lord, we still rebel. And uh, we ask forgiveness of that. We confess that. But at the same time, we live to give you glory. May you be pleased tonight. Amen. Alright, well, um, yeah, on, your, on your outlines there, um, you have 11 and 12 and got it outlined just real briefly the very first part of it and you'll notice that it's it's people <laughs> it's just a lot of people there uh, lengthy register uh, of the names uh, the first part there number one the families who repopulated Jerusalem and there you have the, the lay families uh, that, that means they're not priests they're not Levites okay uh, they have to repopulate there's going to be people that have to live there this is God's plan Nehemiah is going to make sure that this comes about. Ezra is all part of it. You have priests in Jerusalem, and you have Levites, gatekeepers, the temple servants in Jerusalem. So they're the ones that are going to start repopulating. Then the families who lived in the cities of Judah and Benjamin, see that in chapter 11, verse 25 through 36. You have the priests and Levites of Zerubbabel's return. Uh, as You have people that come at different time periods. The high priest in chapter 12, the priest, Levites, after Zerubbabel and 
uh, Yeshua, the dedication of the wall in chapter 12, 26 through 43. We'll probably be spending most of our time in that area there and the organization of how the temple is to be supported. The people and Nehemiah are conscious of their roots, uh, the very structure of God's company of people and how He's done it. Um, there's no rabble of refugees here. These are people settling down. Um, they're going to live here and there's going to be dignity of the order that, that's going to be done and uh, the relationships that they're going to have to, and as they get established. And you remember that Israel was called to be a nation, a, a kingdom of what? A, a priests. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what God's doing. And of course, I think that represents what He's doing also with, with us today, isn't He? We, Peter relates to that. We are uh, kings and priests to be a holy nation, to be set apart. God's doing it. He could have done away with them as we saw in chapter 9 when the confession was done as God was so faithful and they kept rebelling. And there He is. What kind of a God is He? What kind of love is this? As John says in 1 John, what manner of love is this that He would do this? So, willing hearts there that God has made and they're going to function in their unique capacities that God has given each one. Does that ring a tone to, um, to the church? Yes. Can't help but think about the, the gift chapters, can you? First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians. Uh, but that's what defines ministry. When you hear the word ministry... Uh, uh, how does a person go into ministry? Most people off the street, oh, they, they go to a Bible college and they go to seminary. And will that be true? I said, well, they have to be ordained. Um, well, I think today we have what's called the clergy and then we have the laity. You've heard of that? That's been the battle in the church from the very early church days. Uh, and really... Yes, there are certain people who, uh, men who are chosen to lead in worship and to lead in preaching and, and teaching the Word of God. Uh, God gifts those. But also, they then in turn equip the people in the church to do the same thing as they go out, as they, they live in their daily lives to preach that gospel. So, you know, those, you know, anybody who has been born again. Uh, trust in Christ the Savior as Lord, baptized in the body of Christ. Uh, they have been given a gift, a spiritual gift, and they are to use that gift. Guess what? That is ministry. Everybody is a minister. Minister actually means in the New Testament, really, servant. To minister means to serve. And diakonos, we get our word for deacon from that. But this is what this are. We're seeing these these chapters, and and uh, this is a building up of a body right here in these chapters as a great picture of the church and the gifts that uh, have been given. We have a vital ministry, each one of us, tremendous, and we are going to give an account of this gift that God has given us. And somebody can say, well, you know, I'm not really gifted in an important way, so I can't do so much for the Lord. You know that. That's an absolute wrong mentality. That is not scriptural. And uh, the challenge is is to say, what has God given me? Whatever it is, I want to use it. Right? And uh, He uh, will honor that. So we um, get into... uh, We look at chapter 11 for a moment. Look at the first verse. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people... Who do you have there? You have the leaders to start off with. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, where nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So some of them say, I will go. They're going to give up everything to go in there because they know that this is a God thing that's happening. They've been proving that. But a lot of them would rather stay at home. <laughs> and nine-tenths of them do. So, casting lots, some of them just volunteer and going in. Uh, so, you have this repopulation that is um, quite quite a work that uh, has to be done. 
uh, and then he starts off and he says now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem but in the cities of Judah and that's where Jerusalem is at in the, in the Judah area each lived on his own property in their cities the Israelites, the priests, the Levites the temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants and then you start getting some more details some of the sons of Judah and some of the sons of Benjamin that's the two, the two southern tribes isn't it Judah, Benjamin, Jerusalem area that's where it's all with. you think of Paul and he came from the tribe of Benjamin and lived in Jerusalem so uh, some of the sons in Judah, some of Benjamin, they were living in Jerusalem. That's their area there anyway. From the sons of Judah, and then you have all those names. And you might get a description here and there. And you know, there you have, uh, that's the heads of the provinces. In verse 10, you have the priests. Verse 15, you have the Levites. Uh, verse 19, you have the gatekeepers. Verse 20, the rest of Israel. <laughs> of the priest and of the Levites or were in all the cities of Judah and on his own inheritance. But the temple servants were living in Ophel and Zeah and Gishpa were in charge of the temple servants. So there you have uh, an idea how so much of them have been spread out outside of the city. And uh, so what does ministry involve? It involves a willingness to do whatever God wants to do and to even live where God wants you to live. <laughs> even though uh, when we think of, uh, was it, um, there was a, uh, I can't think of his name now, I think it was Brown or something like that. Uh, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. Does anybody remember that song? Please Don't Send Me, does that, does that ring a bell? You know, because everybody thought, oh, to serve God, then he might, he might, as soon as I become a Christian, he might send me to Africa. And who wants to go to Africa, right? <laughs> Not too many. But uh, at the same time, um, we have Scott to be willing. Brown? Scott Wesley Brown. That's it. Hey, I had the last name right, didn't I? <laughs> Scott Wesley Brown. That goes back to the 80s. That's the 80s. That guy, he has a memory right there. It's a long-term memory. Yeah. yeah. Ask me anything old. But nothing from yesterday. <laughs> Please don't send me to Africa. Yeah, kind of a fun song. How does that... Uh, how does that resolve? Does, does the guy in the song actually submit, or, or is that the moral? From my memory, I, th- I think that's really what it it, it kind of is leading to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you can you can bring it up real quick. Bob will probably have it here in about five seconds. <laughs> it's there. I heard it the other day. Really. I think the just the song was that you don't have to go to Africa to serve the Lord. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Barb. Is there is there significance to it, or is there a significance to the one in ten tenth? Oh, you mean like a ten percent or a tithe? You know? Yeah, because uh, a tithe involves sacrificial giving and for these people to go back and like you said many of them don't want to sacrifice and percent I'm wondering it's an idea. I, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that it would be like a ten cents. Good number to start with, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So hey, it's biblical. I'll take that. I'll that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I'd say, yeah, that would be significant. God definitely had in mind how many He wanted there, and He, you know, He moves through people. You know, He puts it on our hearts to say, "Okay, we're we're going to draw lots." And of course, you get the draw drawing lots, and that goes back to even the law. They're not doing a gambling thing there, but God was speaking through different ways at that time, uh, differently, and and so He does. I wouldn't be doing that today, throwing dice, you know, with people to see what God's will is to marry somebody or whatever, but. Uh, Anyway, um, um, so whatever he wants, wherever he wants them to live, that's what they need to do, and so they do that. Another thing that it does is you have to serve in the sphere in, in which God calls you to serve. You have chapter eleven it lists the heads of the families in Jerusalem, the priests, and then the Levite section. We, we were talking about that. The gatekeeper. I feel like I'm really skipping over things drastically. This is, doesn't seem like verse by verse teaching tonight, 
but uh, it's just like if you if you look down there, we're going to get name after name after name. They're all very important. And in an eternity that we're going to live in, we'll get to meet some of these people. That their name was in the Bible. You don't know a thing about them. Their name is there. And all of a sudden, you start finding out what did you do? Wouldn't that be a neat question? What did you do when you were uh, living at the time of Nehemiah? As you guys built that city and, and you moved into Jerusalem, now, you know. How hard was that? I can just hear their question back. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> That's the point, isn't it? Because we all are giving things to do. Yeah, very good. That's that's what we're talking about here. But they, they each served in their, the sphere that God had given them, the respective sphere of who they were. And it was an effective operation that God had. What if they all did basically the same thing? What if you get a whole bunch of musicians together? Oh, no, that, nothing will happen. Now, you, you all hear some good songs, but I'm telling you, if you just have musicians, we're in big trouble. Well, what happens if you get a bunch of preachers together? Yeah. Nobody to preach to. <laughs> you know, this goes on and on. And, and they all were geared and wired a certain way. They were wired by the way that God wanted them to be wired. That's the way it is with us. That's that's incredible thought when you think about it. think about how God weaves in the, uh, His amazing purpose in us. So every part of it is vital. Each has a different role. You turn to First Corinthians. Well, we can't get away with at least going there and, and looking there at once. First Corinthians twelve. Um, this is the same thing that's going on here as Paul gives the detail of kind of uh, how these gifts work and in and, and, and verse 12 and First Corinthians 12 for even the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body though they are many are many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body one spirit one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and we were all made to drink of one spirit Amen, right? For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I get the idea. I read that many, many times. But there's an observation there that uh, you know the people can complain uh, about themselves, but uh, the spiritual gifts are there. A lot of people can complain. Oh, you know what? It just doesn't seem like this is a very caring church. And you know what? I probably that person has a lot of mercy. They're not seeing it, but guess who needs a person like that to come into the church? Somebody who really cares. You know what can happen? It can really spread. And they get that off of them, and, and so they in turn. So people can complain. Well, you know, they can complain about the people. So this church is a disorganized mass. It's just terrible in, in its disorganization. Well, guess what? That person probably has a gift of administration. administration. <laughs> guess what? We needed somebody like that, right? That's why you're there. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can think of all the different things that people can criticize and complain about, and they really need to not complain and start filling the bill where it's needed. Go right for it. Matter of fact, if somebody says, hey, that's a good idea, we can really use you there, go for it. You know, they're expecting you to do it, they got the idea and they want you to do it. Maybe God put that in your heart for you to do that, right? So, anyway. Hey, it's a great chance here for me to really go off on this thing. Huh? <laughs> Number three, ministry involves a willingness to serve without acclaim. Uh, how about without fame? Uh, most of these names, that, you know, as I go through here, like I say, I feel like I'm really cheating it because I'm not reading them all, and, and we'll get to kind of the text that I kind of wanted to deal with, maybe. Um, but you know, some aren't even listed by name, as I was telling you. They're just lumped together with all their other kinsmen as a group. 
You don't even know who they are, and you don't even know who that person is. Or Zabdiel is named in 11, chapter 11, verse 14. He means nothing to us. We don't know him. Nobody. I bet if I would have said his... Hey, do you guys know about Zabdiel? I bet you none of you would have put your hand up. Am I right? There we go. All right. Now, now we're getting biblical. <laughs> but he had 128 kinsmen who were not—they're not named, but they're warriors. You got to have valiant warriors because those guys are going to be raided. You have to have protection. That's why they built the walls. Valiant warriors, and and they make up a pretty big part it's not a small part of the city that they're going to make to make this secure this is an important part that they're going to play isn't it just those warriors who don't even know church needs many people that that function in whatever they do they do well and if they have a gift from God they do it well and then they'll learn as they do it more they'll learn it more and more and it's, it's like vital organs you don't ever see vital organs do you? You don't see them. You don't see your heart and your lungs and the uh, liver and all that. You never see them. But when one of them shuts down, we're in big trouble and I feel it. And whenever somebody is not a part, we feel it. We feel it. Note two things about these people here. Number one, look at their faithfulness. Not fame. Fame is not the issue, is it? Not at all. Matter of fact, people need to check their motives in what they're doing. Even if they do have the gift that God has given, we still have to check out the motive. A lot of people want great esteem and recognition. And um, if that's the case, it's all done for the wrong reason, isn't it? Just, hey, uh, people can get really upset and hurt because people don't notice what they're doing or nobody says something about it. Well, people should encourage people. Always think that's a great idea to go up to somebody and say, hey, thanks for... Uh, I thank the Lord for you, for you doing that in the ministry that you do. Uh, but if somebody is desiring fame and just where people will know them because of that, and of course many big-name ministers have gone down the chutes because of that, but uh, the efforts will not go unrewarded. That's a promise. Because if people don't notice it, um, the Lord is watching. The Lord is watching. Look in Hebrews six ten. That's exactly what he's he's saying here. Six ten of Hebrews. For God is not so unjust as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. He's not unjust. He's not going to forget you what you're doing. He knows every little thing. Matter of fact, He knows a lot more than, than you ever do in what you do. Somebody might say, hey, you have this gift. And you say, oh, okay. So that's what I do. Okay, well, you, know, you just keep doing it. What, you know, it might be a, a, a combination of a bunch of different gifts that are all rounded into one. And uh, what do we call that? A spiritual snowflake. A spiritual snowflake. Snowflake. There's not another snowflake that looks like that other snowflake, and that's that's the way we all are. But you look at us, and we all look the same, like the snow is coming down. But <laughs> yeah. So people can get all upset because they're not getting noticed. But here, at the same time, say, "Hey, God is the one noticing," and that's what's most important, isn't it? So uh, faithfulness is so so important. Uh, that's. That's the issue. And um, ministry involves people first. People first. The church is about God. It's about His people. It's about who He is and who His people are. It's the importance that God is putting, uh, putting on His people is, is something that we need to take note because we represent the great God of the universe. And uh, we are made in His image. We're being made and conformed into the image of Christ. And I think of John 10 where He's the shepherd. He's such a good God. He's the shepherd for the sheep, right? And in John 10, verse 3 and 4, for instance, you could take that whole 
chapter, but to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. See, we're as one as a church, but yet we're individual to him. And he calls each one by name and leads them out. Not by accident, because that's what happened. That's what a shepherd would do with the sheep. And he would actually have them named, and they would know his voice, right? We know that story. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. We follow him. His voice is right here. It's in the Word of God. And this is how we know who he is. We don't have to have some audible voice going. It's right here. The shepherd is leading us. We have enough to be guided by right here in this world. Tremendous, isn't it? Look at Matthew 22, verse 37. It's about people. It's about God. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where it starts. And with all your soul, with all your mind. Right out of the law, right? This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is what? Like it. <laughs> it's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Wrap it all up wrap the Ten Commandments, the whole law, just everything, and it comes to us like in a great package. Love God. I think love love people, your man. Tell them. Take that verse there. Love God. And His Word. Right. And you're right, Avell. That's where it always goes back to. We can be meaning well and really loving people, but at the same time, if we're bending God's law or breaking it because, oh, you know, you know, we are to be loving others, but at the same time, we are to love them with truth, as Ephesians 4 says. And so, therefore, we love God. And then it comes from there. Because that's the greatest commandment. But then also... Well, wouldn't so you want somebody to tell you if you were on the edge of the cliff? Absolutely. Or you're getting ready to fall off. Or you're in a burning burning building. <laughs> I listened to those exactly. uh, CDs you guys made. And uh, it was, uh, we're held by an angry God or something. I don't know. The <laughs> yeah, so it was like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> talked about how like, we're, just, we're just dangling over the fire. Ah, I got it. You got it. Like, yeah. Man, if I really love you... I love you because I don't want you to end up in a place like that. Cause I don't want to end up in a place like that. So, yeah. you know, I know the love of God wants to keep me out of there. So I know that the grace of God also wants to keep you out of there. So, love you know, with the truth. Come on, come out of there. <laughs> you said it, Adele. That's it. Christ that day as a result of that Oh, it's the greatest revival here in America ever. It was tremendous. All the people were weeping. They were wailing. I mean, they they felt it so much. I mean, it was so demonstrative. And the way that he, his descriptive words are just... You know, it's just by his own will that he holds all this back. And he talks about how Satan's just ready there with the demons to attack him and sculpt you and take you in his, like, whoa. So, right. like, like, shake, it shook my foundation. I had to really, like, think about it. God, Lord, am I really saved? Do I really believe? And I'm like, like, I hope so because, you know, if I don't, you know. God have mercy on that's me, what the so. people felt in that church oh, there too. But yeah, that's 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 the way we should feel when we read something like that. We have, we need to check ourselves. It should bring us to our knees, shouldn't it? We need to like, you know, like it says in the word, uh, examine yourself. But I didn't he read that in a monotone in mm-hmm. the record yeah. that he just kind of read it. So it wouldn't Without, affect them. Just it wasn't like he was trying to work something up in them. He just read it to them. Right. right. And, and the Spirit did that. 
and he was trying. Yeah, it was for the glory of God in that it wasn't that Jonathan Edwards, even as brilliant as he as he was, he couldn't have done anything as far as revival. But that, that was Whitfield, who had come over from England, and then it went all the way up north uh, to where uh, Edwards was at. Uh, of course, there had been a revival in England, and of course, this is all at the right at the end of the Puritan age. And revival went for a little while, but it didn't last too long. That's the sad thing. It kind of reminds you exactly what happens in Nehemiah here. Because we have chapter 13 next week, and uh, the wheels fall off, just like it always had. <laughs> and the church, um, you know, God's people, the, the church is always going to be there. And, and the ones that are chosen, the ones that are His, they are going to persevere. They're going to go through. God is the one who perseveres. I think that's probably been said better that way, isn't it? He perseveres with His own people. <laughs> he will make sure that we get through it. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't know. Well, what are some requirements for uh, for ministry then? Do we need seminary training? Do we need to know Hebrew and Greek and, and theology and systematic theology and all those kind of spheres of ministry? Well, it, it sure doesn't hurt. It, it helps. That's a good thing. But that's not the main thing in ministry. And by the way, I'll, I'll announce to you that uh, Pete, who um, played a really key role here in our church uh, back when we were at the other building before he went to seminary, um, just got word last night. It's not official yet. He's working on his doctorate right now. Um, and he probably will be done in May. Uh, I think he is getting an offer to be a teacher of systematic theology at um, Master Seminary. And um, the Lord has blessed him in a lot of great ways. He's, uh, God has given him a lot of battles. But there was a reason he was preparing him. Right. But it was it was nice to talk to him. I had already heard about this before, but he's the editor at Grace to You. And I said, what are you going to do? Are you going to be editor too and keep doing that? Was, no, he said uh, he would hope to go full time as an uh, instructor there. And wow. so it sounds like that's what's coming down the line. Uh, that's exciting. Uh, this is one of the guys that uh, that we know that comes from here, that God would do that and put him in the positions that he's been put into. Mm-hmm. That is why he has been called to do what he has. He has sold out for the Word of God. And, and uh, of course, I'll be talking with Alan later to remind me, you know, but because you have um, a drive possibly with, that's where the Lord might want to take you to. And we want to help you. <laughs> Whatever it is, we want to start praying for you. And it's, that's a little while yet. But, um, I, I would like. I like to be somebody who's pushing people on out, and it, it's happened here, it's happened a few times, and a little bitty, little bitty church. But God puts uh, some of our people in some pretty big places. So that's how great God is. Yeah. That's amazing, and that goes along with what it is. I, that's the reason I say that. That's that's a praise to God. To see somebody that's really strong in the Word, and He is. Um, but do they need to go that route? I guess no, that's kind of what you're That's the thing. Yeah. I was saying he went that way. And does that mean okay? Then we're all we all just you know just lay down and no. The thing is, we are just as much as a minister as anybody else. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. We all are servants. So what are requirements for ministry? Well, to be a servant or a minister needs a pure heart, and that's really what what it starts with. Before they dedicated the wall. And if you look in chapter 12, verse 30, I'm really giving an overview of these chapters. If you're looking for high theology in these passages, you probably won't get a lot, but you could you could probably take one word and build off of it like this right here, like purity. The priest and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates and the wall. Before they dedicated, see, they had the wall up, but now it's the dedication. This had to be pretty, pretty shortly after that time where it had been built already. The people, the gates, the wall—I mean, it's all to be holy, to be set apart. The Old Testament rituals—they symbolize the fact that hearts are sinful, right? And hearts are sinful, and God is absolutely holy. 
And so if they're going to be serving God, they have to be purified, to be cleansed from all the sin that they've been involved with, whether it be thought, word, deed, or you know, our actions. And all of us, we, we struggle against temptation. It's there. It's, it's part of the war, the battle that we're in. We're, we're vulnerable. We can fall into sin. And well, we see it through scriptural history. We are to be guarding ourselves from temptation. It's like they have the walls, but they're still going to have to have, physically, they're going to have to have soldiers there as they have the wall there and then they have the soldiers and the people to fight for them. Um, you know, we too, we have to fight. We have to fight every day. We battle not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual forces in high places and such. Uh, so we are to humble ourselves before God, repent of our sins, and protect ourselves from, from falling, knowing full well that we can. Uh, purity in the heart is such a key. That's where any kind of ministry starts, doesn't it? Having a pure heart. That's the requirement for Christian service. At this time, uh, in what way would, would they have used uh, you know, whatever to purify themselves? What would they have used? Or... Well, you think of the Old Testament. Of course, you think of the the the, the, the priests, the Levites. You know, they were cleansed. They, you know, there would be water. There would be that kind of cleansing. So there's symbolic cleansing. And of course, it's going to go down to the very heart, spiritual. Right. Um, and so it's not just motions that they're going through, but that showed, you know, visibly, physically, what really what was going on inside. And so they're, they're, as they consecrate this this wall, as they dedicate it, uh, the people are, uh, the Levites, the leaders there, are being purified. And, and I think it has started with the Word of God back in chapter 8. And then there was repentance. There's your cleansing right there. And when you confess, First John one nine, if we confess our sins, God does what? He forgives us. He's where, just. Where in the New Testament does it say uh, the Spirit comes alongside? Uh, no, no. Uh, the washing of the water of the Word. Well, Ephesians five would be a, a good one there, where you have the husband and wife relationship. And then I also think the washing of regeneration of uh, in Titus, but in Ephesians five, um, of course, this should be a great manual. This this chapter five for any married people, right? But it's it's speaking of the mystery of Christ and the church. But the Word of God is what cleanses us. And of course, um, I can get to chapter five here. Uh, in verse 28, so husbands also uh, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. i got to back up. Verse 25, Husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, set apart, right, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. And in Ephesians already, it has told us in Ephesians 5, it talks about the... um, In 17, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you go to Colossians, there it talks about being filled with the Word. So if one is filled with the Word, you're filled with the what? The Spirit. But but the Word along with the Spirit of God, that's what there, there's where we're cleansed. And that is what the ultimate cleansing for these people. That's what will make us pure. Um, in, um, what, what is the psalm where it talks about uh, of he's a light unto my path but it's, uh, yeah Psalm 119 yeah there was another verse in that psalm, but I can't think of exactly what it was now but it's speaking uh, there that uh, what what the word does is that as it cleanses if I see that through there purity on the on the heart level that, that's an essential requirement isn't it yeah essential you have to start with that um, a servant needs a worshipful heart 
not only a pure heart, but a worshipful heart. Turn to Nehemiah 12, uh, 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. Why? So that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving and songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Get out the instruments. Break them out. These guys are skilled. Let them play. Let them worship God, right? Um, That was verse 27. Look at verse 31. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall and I pointed two great choirs. Imagine this. On one side, they're starting on one side and they're all going to close in and meet at the temple. One's going to go around this way, one direction. The other one's going to go the other direction and come around this way. And there they are, you know, massive choirs. And of course, David often spoke of antiphonal choirs. You have singing over here, and then you can have an answer over here, and then back and forth. It's, can you imagine with with uh, uh, um, thousands of people going back? Oh, incredible thing! God's heading all this up, and so it's not a small thing, music. For worship, it's not a small thing indeed. It's a major thing. It's always mentioned in, in as part of the worship. It's not just music being worshipped. The Word of God and prayer and everything else is worship too. But there's this part that, part that's special. This is amazing. The first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuse gate. Then it has a lot of names and such. Uh, verse 35. Some of the sons of the priests with trumpets. Okay. Um, at the end of verse 36 musical instruments of David the man of God musical instruments that could have gone back hundreds of years ago to the very instruments that David had or it's talking about the instruments that he got going there you know that would be easy to understand but maybe some of these are the very ones going back to David's time interesting you notice what he's called there man of God and that is not to be taken lightly because it will happen again. And Ezra the scribe went before them. Uh, the fountain gate it talks about. Then in verse 38, the second choir proceeded to the left while I followed them with half of the people on the wall. Uh, this had to be an amazing sight and sound. Verse 40, Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. Um down in verse 42 about um, near the end of it and the singers sang with Jezrahiah their leader and on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar this is a worshipful heart so one has to be a real worshiper if they, if they serve God right <laughs> That's an amazing thing, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like what we need to be doing a lot of. That's what it's about. You're talking about singing music and it reminds me of Psalms 150, the very last song. Oh, yeah. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmness. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with sounds of trumpets. Praise Him with the lumps and the heart. Praise Him with tambour and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise, praise the Lord. Lord. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Hey, I like it. Let's all say that. Let everything, everything that, that has breath, breath praise the Lord. the Lord. I like that. Oh, man, that's good. That's um, and that's what God is doing here. He's preparing these people now to worship like they have never worshipped before. That's what God is doing, and He's called all these people. Each have been elected to be there at that time. You know what? They show up. <laughs> Listen, don't miss out on worship with God's people because there's something happening there when God's people are worshiping. Believe me. Something's really happening. Look in, in, in chapter 12, verse 24. 
The heads of the Levites were Hashbiah, Sherebiah, Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers opposite them, to praise and give thanks, that's all together, isn't it? As prescribed by David. Who do you think of when you think of all the Psalms and everything? David didn't write them all. He sure wrote a lot though, didn't he? As prescribed by David, the man of God. You notice that? The man of God. Did you notice earlier when we talked about that? The man of God. And then let's drop to verse 36. Yeah, we read that. Verse 36. And verse 37. At the fountain gate, they went directly up the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Now, not that they're worshiping David, but what a rich history that they have. And as now they are seeing where all this was at and some of these things are being rebuilt, not like what it was during David's time. You know, of course, he didn't build the temple with Solomon's, but he got things going, didn't he, with worship. He was a man after God's own heart. I mean, that meant he worshiped with all his heart. He led people in worship. David, the man of God. Verse 45 and 46, For in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times, they were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. How many songs did, did David write? Don't you? Wouldn't it be great if we had them on CDs today? Anyway, that's about worship. God doesn't want your work if He doesn't have your worship. Don't even serve Him if you don't worship Him, right? Be a man after God's own heart. Be a woman after God's own heart. And, and you know, this is not just outward, is it? I mean, this is an inward thing. Uh, and and it, did you notice it's talking about rejoicing? And it's talking about extolling all of His great high attributes and His actions. The person and the work of Christ. The person, His nature, and the work of Christ. And it's seen in, in these songs and in what this is. It's about reverencing that and it's an inward thing. It engages the mind and it engages the heart and it engages the emotions. So don't be afraid to be emotional. That's what music is to do. The only thing is, we, you know, just like in everything, we have a balance. People can go crazy and we see what happens to that. But at the same time, I think sometimes we need to be a little more emotional than what we are. But whether somebody's setting up chairs or whatever they're doing, you know, uh, it ought to flow out just of a heart of worship for God because that is worship. Uh, Here's a characteristic, too, that we don't see a lot, but I'm sure was going on a lot in various worships over the generations, you know, the in the verse 43, the women and children also rejoice. You know, uh, can't we can't leave them out? <laughs> you know, oh, they, they add a lot of that to to the. Uh, you betcha. It's talking about families there. Right. This, this is all family. This is what worship is about. Getting the family in on the worship and training them up from that time. As soon as they can start to understand things, bring them in with the rest of the people so they can learn how to worship. That's been one of my biggest things throughout um, all the ministry that we've been involved here. To get the kids in learning how to worship. Now, they may not be able to extend for two full hours, but to have a little bit at a time. And then as they go on, bring them on in. By the time they're three, they can understand all that. Let me tell you, they're talking. Um, they're, they can, they understand. They hear. They're smarter than we think. And it might be one of those things when you get home, then kind of instruct them a little bit more. And that's what I've seen down through the years at... Um, at a lot of places, and and hopefully at, at, at ours, that's that's a big thing to get get that. So thank you, Bob, for for reading that. They rejoice. Matter of fact, at the end of verse forty three, it says that there was the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. And we're not necessarily talking about the music there. They heard the what? They heard the joy. It, of course, the music is part of it, but, but yeah. these people are really rejoicing. You ever been outside of a stadium? Not in it, but outside it, and all of a sudden the crowd just comes up roaring. It's loud. You say, and this is the hometown team. 
you're going, oh, something good. Either it was somebody that scored a touchdown. You know, like I live up like uh, just a quarter of a mile from J.C.'s stadium, right? And whenever they score a touchdown, I know it's a touchdown because the crowd is going crazy. I can hear that. You know, they're rejoicing pretty good. Uh, but there, there's that, that, that noise, and, and uh, it, it's kind of neat to hear. But, you know, people should be able to... Uh, I don't know if they can hear out here sometimes when we're playing, but I would hope somebody would be walking by and they go, you know, that sounds really... Well, we've had... Something's uh, really happening there. We've had ceiling tiles fall out of the... (laughs) (laughs) All of our rejoicing. (laughs) Sparks and everything. (laughs) Sparks, yeah. (laughs) We just need to take it out there. (laughs) That's good. Outsiders can hear our joy. <laughs> joy just should be radiating. I'm not kidding. It should be radiating from this place. And so that a servant needs a joyful heart, right? Along with that, if you have worship from God, you're really worshiping God. You can't help but have joy. It just comes out of it, doesn't it? And, and, and you know where it's all centered, though. It's still centered on the very Word of God. And then the servant needs a giving heart. And this is our, our last one. Now, these people. Gave joyfully. If we look in verse 44 through 47, on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served, for they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification together with the singers and the gatekeepers in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph, the the great golden days, in ancient times there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. Now they have it too. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions do the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. So they made sure that there again we come in with the offerings and the tithes and everything that a church has to have to continue on. So that's mentioned. We get a lot about here about how a church operates in its worship, don't we? Giving is part of worship just as much as anything else. Because now we're ready to sacrifice. Some people, like the tenth that Barb just mentioned, we're willing to give a, you know, the tenth of the people we're willing to go into there. I close with this. Um, There was a missionary by the name of William Carey, reformed guy at that. He, uh, you know, left for the mission field. We know that. But he would keep a map of India on his wall. He was a shoe cobbler. He he would look at that map. All the time. Every time he'd walk by there, he'd say, oh, I'd love to be there. I'd go right there and that place right there. So it's right in his shop. He studied it. He studied about where he wanted to go, you know, and speaking of India and such. And, and he preached the gospel uh, a lot. Matter of fact, he preached the gospel so much that he, it, it seems like he really didn't spend enough time in his business. And a friend came up and said, hey, listen, you're slacking off. You're not running your business and this thing's going to go downhill. And he said, listen, this is not my business. Preaching the gospel is my business. I just do this business just enough to be able to pay my bills. <laughs> that was the idea. Uh, he was he was admonished for neglecting his business, but every, his mindset was what every Christian should have, though. You, you do whatever your jobs are. You do whatever you do during the day, school and what have you. But your mindset should be serving the Lord. You know, Glorifying God, worshiping God, it's all about that. The mindset is ministry oriented. And so that's just for the pastor and, and the elders and you know some of the other leaders. No, it's for everybody. Your whole mindset, your whole idea is how you can minister uh, in, in God's Word to people. So when you gather with God's people, you're thinking about others and, and, and the, the love of Christ uh, for them. You know, so... If somebody says, well, this is a real unfriendly church, and what you need to say was, you know what? You are a very friendly person, and you are the one now to be a friendly person to everybody because we need somebody like that, don't we? It's funny. God didn't make us that way, but He can make us through you. Right? We can be blessed by your gift. 
Um, matter of fact, that uh, that person that is complaining about an unfriendly church, he's part of the problem, isn't he? He's not doing anything about it. <laughs> So the solution is for them to what reach out and in that friendliness, but uh, meet the needs of, of people and, and at the same time serve them with the word of God. Um, there was this um, son of a pastor who decided to become a pastor himself. The dad told the son, "Keep close to God. Keep close to man." And bring God and men together. Did you get that? Keep close to God. What's the first command? The greatest commandment? Love God. What's your second one? Love your neighbor. Keep close to God. Keep close to men. Don't get out there and do an Alaska thing. I'm seeing people wanting to get away from people, to get away from the system. God never called us to get alone. How are you going to minister to anybody when you get alone? People want to get away from the system. I know what they're saying. But if they are, they think they're Christians, what kind of impact are they making out there alone? No, he says, be in the world, but not of it. He wants us to get to people. That's what the churches is. church is. It is people. And then there are people out there that are lost that need to hear the Gospel. So, and this Nehemiah 11 and 12 just rings with people. Just read their names. And that was your assignment for today. This it was kind of we, you know, because that way we can cover all the verses, right? And and we covered two chapters in a, in a hurry, uh, but you get the idea. That's ministry. And when we get into thirteen, uh, we'll break that down a little bit more. It's um, slightly different, but at the same time, Nehemiah has a lot to give us. Why don't we have a word with the Lord? Thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for your word, and may it make an impact on us. Help us to be able to be better worshipers of you, and also servants to our own people here in the church and outside these walls to bring the gospel, good news to a lost world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Oh, Dennis, I got a-